This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Equity Live! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? It's very good, Bryce. Uh, I noticed that you've gone back to original opening as of late, and I think uh, <laughs> maybe it was a good move. Yeah, look, uh, I don't hear anyone complaining, but we'll see what happens. If people continue to send in their, I guess, take on what our opening should be, then I'll read it out. But for the moment, for the best part of it, uh, they seem to have dried up somewhat, Ren, so maybe... Uh, our listeners are telling us that it is time to revert back to the to the or, old to the comfortable way of doing things, or it's time to uh, time to pull another rabbit out of your hat and uh, and do something else. Wow, is that a challenge? Do you reckon Peter have a problem with um, magicians pulling rabbits out of hats? Peter, <laughs> yeah, Peter Rabbit. No, <laughs> the people for the ethical treatment of animals. No, <laughs> I think mean Peter Rabbit. I'm like, why would he care? <laughs> you know how they have they have that issue with um the saying "kill two birds with one stone." Maybe they have an issue with the saying "pulling a rabbit out of a hat" as well. I didn't even know they had an issue with um kill two birds with one stone. I mean, that's going a bit far, isn't it? Don't you think? I think you meant to say like feed two birds with one bread roll or something. Now, oh my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> what is the world going to? Jeez. Anyway, Ren, so how's your week been? Good week for big week for me so far. It's only uh the early the early part of the week, but I've had to have a glass of wine tonight. So I'm if, if I'm a bit off, that's that's why, just an FYI. That's probably as personal as we've got on the podcast talking about how our week's been. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good that we're settling into it after 170 episodes. <laughs> True. Let's bring it back out and talk all things markets and stocks like we usually do, Ren. Today, for this episode, we are going to do a bit of a world tour. You know, we've done a lot of uh, earnings season updates to the Australian market and also the US markets, probably the two markets that we talk most about on the show. But 
we are going to exclude USA and Australia and have a look at some of the other markets around the world and have a shallow dive into a few of the companies that have recently reported Y19 earnings results. And we'll go from there, Ren. What are your thoughts? Love it. I love it. Now, in saying that, before we leave the United States, there's one thing that I want to bring up. Because I can't, think, ha- can't help yourself, I, can you? I know. Well, <laughs> this, this piqued my interest, and I'm pretty sure you suggested something similar to on the co-founder of BetaShares uh, in, a, in a soon-to-be-released interview. I think it will be the next episode, people, to after this one. You, I'm pretty sure you suggested to him an ETF that tracks Trump's tweets. It was called Trump's Tweets ETF. Uh, JP Morgan somehow got a advanced copy of our interview and they've stolen your idea. They have, an, they have announced the Trump Volfefe Index. Keen Trump watchers. That's a real deep cut by JP Morgan. It refers to his Covfefe tweet of, I don't know, two, three years ago. Yeah, it, it is an index that measures how Trump's tweets are influencing volatility in U.S. interest rates. Way. Yeah, 100%. It's <laughs> wow. legit. Can you send me the link for that? I'll shoot it through to Elon and get his thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you Google Volfefe Index, there's probably not going to be too many other hits. Very true. All right, I'll do that. All right. I, now, before we move on, I do have a quick question for you. <laughs> Since uh, Trump's election in 2016, it's a day. Do you think Trump averaging? Five. Oh, mate, that, <laughs> mate, that is so many. Uh, no, more than ten. But still, okay. for, for someone who's meant to be, you know, in back-to-back meetings all day, running the world. Get off the phone. Yeah, I know. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. So it seems like... Always, equity mates are at the forefront of financial media and news. <laughs> and if, you <laughs> hear, before. If, if you want to hear Alain shred that idea, uh, you can listen to the interview. But <laughs> hey, you have don't a give it away, Bryce. Like I do. So stay tuned for our next episode or soon to be, and you'll have an idea of what we're talking about. Another thing that I want to shout out before we get stuck into the meat of this episode. Uh, we recently would, would Peter uh, have an issue with you saying get stuck into the meat? Oh, <laughs> what is with you and Peter? <laughs> I don't know. It's just on my mind now. <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so recently put the call out to any, any new investor listening to the show that if they have made their first ever purchase on their investing journey, then to reach out to us and let us know and we'd give them a shout out on the show so here's a shout out to Joel Wren, who last week invested his first $1,000 into the stock market, started his investing journey. He put it into the A200, so an ETF, and quote, with time on my side, it should be still good when I'm growing old. So full credit for having the long-term mentality and also full credit for in. Full credit, Joel, but sorry to break it to you, we're all growing older every day, so... It's already happening. Oh, classic rain. <laughs> Raining on the parade. <laughs> no, okay, no. Nah. Well done, John. That's great. People are writing in and telling us they've when they've bought their first stock or their first ETF. Keep that coming. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so apologies if we missed anyone on the group or anything, but 
one just stuck out. So, Ren, without any further ado, let's get stuck into this meaty section of our... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are you happy with that? Heavily leafy vegetable section of the podcast. Protein. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ren, you want to kick it off or shall I? Uh, you, You can kick it off. Okay. So... I decided that I would start with the London Stock Exchange, Ren. We haven't really spoken much about the European markets and we really haven't done much of a deep dive into any companies on the London Stock Exchange, despite the fact that many companies in the in the exchange are very well-known global brands that a lot of people would be using in their day-to-day life. So this is a company from the FTSE 100. The FTSE is uh, one of the indexes over there and obviously just like the ASX 200 or 100, it's uh, 100 of the largest cap stocks uh, over in the on the London Stock Exchange. So my company today, for no particular reason other than it was just interesting to me, is Diageo. I think that's how you pronounce it, Ren, or Diageo, however you want to pronounce it, PLC. Its ticker is DGE. It's also dual listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Currently, 3,375 Great Britain pounds if you wanted to buy one of the stocks. So what is Diageo? Have you heard of it, Ren? No, I haven't. I'm just frantically Googling it now. (laughs) So it's a British multinational alcoholic beverages company. Oh, I've heard of some of its brands. You certainly have because (laughs) uh, the alcoholic that you are, you would be. um... (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) No, don't listen. He's he's not. I'm I'm just kidding. Um, I do own up to my jokes on the show, unlike Ren. So... Diageo is the world's largest distiller, was the world's largest distiller, sorry, until they were taken over by a Chinese conglomerate. I'm not even going to try and pronounce, pronounce, pronounce the name. Kwak Chow Mutai in 2017. So some of their most popular brands include Smirnoff, which is the world's best-selling vodka, Johnny Walker, Bailey's, which is the world's best-selling liquor, would you believe it, and also Guinness. So, uh, very well-known brands. <laughs> no, I hate Guinness. <laughs> and it also owns 30% of Moe Hennessy, which owns brands such as Moe Chandon, Verve Clicou, or well, Hennessy, don't even know how to pronounce Clicou, but 180 countries rent and offices in 80 countries as well. So, massive company, which is growing, which is surprising because back home, the uh, from our point of view anyway, liquor is uh, starting to struggle. So, does it, does it free ever- cash flow. Sorry, before you yeah. get into the financials, does it ever really dishearten you that all these alcohol brands are just owned by one company? Well, I think about this a lot and there's there's primarily just like three or four big dogs in the alcohol liquor industry and they own everything, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, it, it, it seems to me though, this is I guess a silver lining or a spin that I try and put on it, that if you did happen to create a successful microbrewery or brand that happened to penetrate some sort of market, then the likelihood of you being brought by one of these, bought, I should say, by one of these large conglomerates would be reasonably high and your prospect of an exit in this sort of industry is, I guess, up there. Always the capitalist, because- Bryce. Always the capitalist. <laughs> Well, if you look at the number, and this is what I found interesting about Diageo, the number of acquisitions that they make year on year is pretty phenomenal. It's what? Is it Diego? Diego? Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Diego. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go with Diego PLC. 
Yeah, but the, if you look at Lyon, you look at Diego, what's the other one, Asahi. Yeah, CUB. CUB. Like their growth now comes a lot from acquisition, right? And so they just buy as many brands as, as they can from what I'm, from what I'm seeing to um, continue on the growth trajectories that they are. So, yeah, interesting business. But anyway, volume and net sales for Diego has increased across all their regions, primarily driven by new product innovation in gin. So we know gin is a, a, an alcoholic drink that is very popular at the moment and growing. <laughs> you were just going to tell us that gin is an alcoholic beverage. <laughs> yeah, gin is um, killing it. Yeah, gin is killing it. Um, Ren, their operating margin has expanded. They have free cash flow of $2.6 billion. And interestingly, they're doing a share buyback of $2.8 billion approved by the board. So, look, in terms of uh, is it a good investment, is it a bad investment, I'm not really going to go down that path. But I thought I'd just use this as, as an opportunity to introduce you and everyone to a, a new company that we haven't really discussed on on the stock market over on the FTSE 100 it is growing. I think volume grew at 2.3%, sales at 6.1%, earns many billions of dollars a year. And yeah, over to you. Nice one. Well, I'll stay in Europe, but I'll move from Britain to the mainland and I'll move from alcohol to banking. <laughs> okay. Yeah, how's that for a segue? You nailed that. <laughs> so... European banking has been seriously challenged of late because banks thrive on in higher interest rate environments when interest rates are at zero or as they are in Europe in the negatives. It becomes very hard for banks to make a profit. And we've seen that in the last 10 years, the European banking index, so a market index of all major European banks, has been is down 45%, so it's almost halved in the last 10 years. At the same time, the uh, similar index for US banks is up 86%. Wow. So European banks have almost halved and US banks have almost doubled. Now, a big reason for that is that the return on equity that European banks make is particularly bad. And on, on this, I want to focus on Germany because... So they're, they're making about 2 to 3% return on equity, the German banks. In comparison, US banks make around 12% return on equity. And as a testament to the power and the dominance of Australia's big four banks, Australia's banks actually make more than 12% return on equity. So um, well done, Commonwealth and friends. Pretty decent, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, pretty decent also, maybe less competition. True. But the, the one that I think I, I want to particularly focus on on this quick trip around the world is Deutsche Bank because it has been in a world of hurt recently. It's had its second consecutive quarter of negative profit growth and has announced a mass restructuring program which will eliminate 18,000 jobs by 2022 and is, it's closing its equity sales and trading business. And just to give you an idea of how much Deutsche Bank is struggling. It's down 94% from its all-time high in May 2007. It's down almost 80% from its most recent high in April 2015. 
And in the last 12 months alone, it's down 25%. So investors have just been killing Deutsche Bank and its recent restructuring program hasn't really been treated with a with that much excitement from the market. So Germany's biggest bank, one of the biggest banks in Europe, one of the biggest banks in the world really, is in an absolute world of hurt. And it doesn't look like interest rates are going to be rising anytime soon. So it'll be interesting to see if it, uh, if it can get out of it. Yeah, wow. They've been hammered in the news as well for big restructuring and, as you said, all that sort of stuff. So... Time will tell. That's it. Wow. Okay. So I am going to stay in Europe and move across from banking to automobiles. How's that for a segue? (laughs) Not great. (laughs) So I'm going to move into Germany, Ren, to the now pronunciation again. Is it the extra DAX? Zetra DAX? The DAX is a German index or it... um, of the 30 major German companies on the stock exchange over there. And I've picked a well-known brand, Ren, Volkswagen, currently trading at €154.92. Now, quick question. Do you reckon you can name four of the five brands that come under Sorry, four of the four brands that come. Oh, yeah, five. Sorry, four of the five brands that come under Volkswagen. Uh, so, well, does Volkswagen count? Yeah. Okay, well, there's one. <laughs> um, you didn't get Porsche? that. You're in trouble. Porsche, Porsche is yep. second. It's going to be some weird one. Oh, no, no, hold on. No, um, you'd know them all. Uh, Audi? Yep. Oh, it's going to be some. It's going to be a German one. Um, no, I'm. Um, so Not the sure. others coming in are Skoda and Bentley. Oh. But, yeah, good job. Volkswagen, Audi, Skoda. I would have assumed Bentley was English for some reason. Porsche and Bentley, not. They fall under the same, the same category. Now, when I started reading their report, Ren, they start their report with volume because obviously volume to them is very important when it comes to car manufacturing. And then I guess yeah, they're number- the first three letters of their name as well. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is your worst. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, volume, their number one metric is deliveries to customers. So if we're this is for their first half of 2019, FY 2019. So if we're comparing that to half one 2018, deliveries to customers down 2.8%. Total vehicle sales down 4.2%. Total production in units down 6.3%. And their employee numbers as well is down 0.3%. So I'm thinking, okay, not looking good for Volkswagen. So I move into the financials a little and start having a look at their sales revenue. Sales revenue for half one compared to 2018 up 4.9%. Operating profits up 10.3% and earnings after tax up 8.4%. So I'm thinking, how is this even possible when volume on almost all of their major metrics are down and when it comes to car manufacturing and the, um, I guess the number of brands that they have, their biggest sort of talking point in their report is all about the mix and pricing points at which they sell. So even though their delivery on 
production and delivery to customers and sales are down. They've managed to reprice their cars and I guess change the mix at which they offer. So I'm talking SUV against sports cars, against your, you know, your family um, station wagon, the mix at which they have done this and as well as their commercial vehicle offerings, they've been able to rejig successfully to still have growth across all of their major financials. So a pretty interesting strategy from them, I guess, to combat a weaker outlook, primarily driven by, I guess, the, you know, economies across the globe. Cars are usually generally one of those things that consumers stop spending money on when it comes to tightening the belt, and they still see that as a challenge. But yeah, they've done pretty well to be able to combat that and still deliver some pretty decent numbers. Question for you. Yeah. Do you reckon people have forgotten about the emission scandal? Yes, absolutely. If you bought at the depth of the emission scandal when, you know, no one... Yeah, it was a stitch up. Do you, do you know, like, would you have made money since then? Yeah, so Ren, if you had owned it in the peak and then the scandal hit, it, uh, it actually dropped 64% to its lowest point. But if you were lucky enough to pick it up around the, the bottom and as the scandal, I guess, started to dissipate out of people's minds, you would be up 62% from that period back in 2015. So certainly nowhere near the highs that it was in 2015, which was 253 euro. It's now trading at 155, but uh, you'd certainly be up. So I guess, do, do you want to just clarify, because the natural question that comes to my mind straight away is that it fell 64% and then it grew 63%. How, yeah. is it, how is it not near its high again? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, so a drop of 64% from its peak is when it was peaking at, what, 250 dollars the reason you're not going to be back up to $250 from a growth of 64% is because you're taking the 64% growth from the base of 90 euros. So 60% on 90 euros about what 60 bucks or thereabouts. So yeah, good so, good point there, Ren. It, it goes to show as well, if you lose 50%, you need to make 100% for you to get your money back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in dollar terms, it, what, it fell about $160 a share or 160 euros a share 
and then it has yeah. risen about 60 euro a share. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's Bill, Volkswagen. You'd be pretty happy if you uh, if you were made a contrarian bet at the bottom of the emission scandal. Absolutely. Maybe not the most most ethical bet you could make, but uh, <laughs> would Peter be happy? Well, I mean, should we talk about Volkswagen as a company, or should we just move on? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, moving on. What else have you got? <laughs> So I'm going to move away from Europe. We've been too Eurocentric, a common criticism of our podcast. (laughs) I'm going to move to Hong Kong because Hong Kong has obviously been the focus of a lot of the uh, non-investing world of late. And I think we won't touch on that too much, but there's obviously, as with every political movement and as with every political event, it has implications for the stock market. So I pulled out some companies from Hong Kong just to give a taste of uh, how the, I guess, the Asian Financial Centre is dealing with this political unrest. So the Hong Kong, the major Hong Kong index is called the Hang Seng, Hang Seng Index, uh, and it's facing its worst contraction since the GFC in 2008. It's down 12% uh, from the new financial year, so as in from July 2019, it's down 12%, and it's down 15% from its April high. But for some reason, it's up almost 5% in the last week. So we're recording this on the 10th of September, and from the 3rd of September, it's up almost 5%. I actually don't know why it's had such an uptick in the last week. I, I, I don't feel like the political situation is getting any better, but... Maybe the market's seeing something. Uh, anyway, so even before the protests, the Hong Kong markets were getting slugged, mainly by the US-China trade war, obviously being such a financial centre and really being the connection between a lot of Western countries and Asia. Hong Kong is right, is, is really feeling the effects of the trade war. Uh, But then also the weaker Chinese yuan, so as China devalues its currency, uh, money that uh, Hong Kong companies make in China uh, is worth less when it's converted uh, into the currency that they report in. So according to Morgan Stanley, 64% of Hong Kong companies' revenue come from the Chinese mainland, and then 22% come from Hong Kong. So that 64% is earned in one because it's coming from the Chinese mainland. And so if that Chinese currency gets weaker, then that's worth less when it's converted to another currency. And so that obviously affects the companies reporting in Hong Kong. To give you two ideas of two examples of companies that have really felt the brunt of the slowdown in Hong Kong, so Henderson Land Development, which was founded by Hong Kong's second richest man. Bonus points if you can tell me who he is. Nope. No. Uh, Lee Shao Key. Uh, okay. So his company posted a 68% decline in sales. They're a real estate company. Oof. And then uh, Bank of East Asia, which I think is one of Hong Kong's biggest domestic banks. There's obviously a lot of international banks that have offices in Hong Kong. But Bank of East Asia reported a 75% drop in first half profit. So, obviously, a lot of thoughts on the 
political situation in Hong Kong um, and you can see the flow-on effect to uh, Hong Kong-based companies through some of this reporting season. I did not realise it would have such an effect. Yeah, mate, if people are out in the protest every day, you know, fighting the fighting the police, then... Uh, it makes you think at the end of the day, you know, surely businesses would be mounting pressure on government and the likes to sort the situation out because it just goes to show what impact it has on their, on their uh, performance. But I think there's a totalitarian authoritarian government can uh, withstand a lot of pressure from the business community. Yeah. Probably more than... Um, ScoMo and the Liberal Party can. <laughs> can you imagine if Sydney were? <laughs> they're not. They're not the streets as, of Hong Kong. They're not as reliant on donors in uh, in the Chinese Communist Party as they are in the Australian political parties. <laughs> Although maybe hey, hey, uh, maybe keep, keep Sydney open should uh, should take a leaf out of the Hong Kong protest. True. True. To the streets. <laughs> to Jordan Street. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's. It's a pretty, it's a pretty bad situation over there. So yeah, the time. the company reporting is secondary, but you do you do see the the flow on effects. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that was a very um that that was interesting. I enjoyed that. I will finish off mine with a, a trip down to uh, Brazil. We're going to Brazi. Ibo Vespa is the name of their exchange, and this comes from the top 100 companies on the Ibo Vesta. The company is called Klaben. Any idea what they do, Ren? Uh, they own heaps of nightclubs. <laughs> They're Klaben. <laughs> By God, you're good. That is exactly <laughs> what they do um couldn't be further from owning heaps of club and nightclubs <laughs> so Clarbon is the leading manufacturer of pack- packaging paper and board they do corrugated boxes timber um all sorts of stuff Jesus, in that sort mate, of you, see, you have you've chosen a brazilian company that's logging the amazon yeah, I thought I'd have a look at how successful <laughs> these sorts of companies are. And I tell you what, they're pretty successful. <laughs> They've got 17 industrial plants in Brazil and one in Argentina. However, Ren, to your point of the Amazon, they have self-sufficient when it comes to their wood. So they have 218,000 hectares of planted forests and 183,000 hectares of preserved native woodlands. And if we're going to be talking ethics and Peter, they're actually the first company from the pulp and paper sector in the Southern Hemisphere to have its forests certified by the Forest Stewardship Council. No idea what that means, but it sounds fancy. So Good on them. Uh, what's uh, what's Vizzy and Aurora doing in Australia? Why aren't they certified? Yeah, good point. They reckon they run all of their activities with the highest possible standards of environmental conservation and socioeconomic sustainability. So full credit to them. I guess it's a bit of a branding play when they're I guess, very deep in what can sometimes be seen as a pretty controversial industry. So what does it all mean? Well, revenues in the first half of 2019 grew 19%. Uh, they ended 2018 with $2.5 billion USD in revenue. Second quarter of 2019, they turned over just a billion dollars AUD. Their margin is pretty healthy at 37% rent, but as you can imagine with any commodities business, it's all about volume and price. 
So across all of their businesses being pulp, coated boards, logging, you name it, their volume has increased in each of them as has their price per tonne increased across all of their major business units. So they're sitting pretty at the moment. They have a fair bit of debt, $4.6 billion in debt, however, that's to do with the number of new projects that they're kicking off. They've got a Pume number two, which is another plant that they're kicking off, and they've got pretty positive cash flow. But I thought I'd just call out the fact that this is a commodities business, and when you're looking at businesses like this, you definitely need to consider things such as the exchange rate and economic activity, so two things that they're watching closely at the moment. So, yeah, insight into one of the largest businesses on in the Brazilian stock exchange in logging and, and paper, Ren. Nice one. And I, uh, I subsequently retract my claim that they're logging the Amazon. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> so you want to finish up? You want to wrap this up? Yeah, okay. So I'll, st- I'll stay in South America with you. Um, I'm not going clubbing, but I am going to Argentina. Um, Come on. We, we recently did a episode on the... Uh, economic troubles that you that they're having in that country. So I won't rehash a lot of that. If you if you haven't listened to our episode on Argentina and you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, check your podcast feed. It is a it's a very interesting situation in that country at the moment. So in preparing for this episode and looking at Argentina, I thought I would find companies that you know weren't doing well. But I actually came across one that is bucking the trend, and I think it's actually a really interesting company in its own right. So I want to talk about it both because it's from Argentina, but also because it's worthwhile everyone knowing about. And it is the Amazon of South America, uh, not the Amazon forest, which is already in South America, but Amazon, the uh, giant US retailer. The company's called Mercado Libre. It's traded on the NASDAQ, uh, ticker M-E-L-I, and it is really the e-commerce retailer of South America. It was founded uh, in August 1999, and as of 2016, it had 174 million users in Latin America alone. Yeah, it's, it's massive. So the, the interesting thing is in the last six months, so as everything's been going on in Argentina, where, where it's still based today, um, it's actually, its share price is up 19% in those six months. So that's a pretty ph- phenomenal result. But even more specifically, so the primary vote uh, in the Argentine election that started a lot of these issues was on the 11th of August. Four days later, on the 15th of August, Mercado Libre reported that Q2 results and their share price jumped 11% up on that day. So four days after all the troubles started in Argentina, uh, one of Argentina's biggest companies saw their share price go up 11%. Wow. And I think the, the important thing to take away from this is it's the importance of geographic diversification, uh, which is important for investors to not have all their money in one country, but it's also important for businesses to not have all their sales coming from one country. And the company is doing incredibly well. It reports in US dollars, and you can see the effect of the Argent 
Argentina crisis. So in Brazil, their their revenue converted to US dollars was up 74%, but their revenue from Argentina converted back to US dollars was only up 14%. And so a lot of that will have to do with the uh, the weaker exchange rate from Argentina. Um, but o- overall, the company's revenue was up 63%. It's marketplace revenue. So when third-party sellers are selling on their platform, that was up 85%. Surprisingly, though, you know, we talk about Amazon and what it's worth, or it does, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of sales a year. Uh, The Mercado Libre only did $545 million in in revenue, which is far smaller than Amazon and small for a company that spread that spans so many Latin American countries uh, and and the the last thing and the thing that I thought was quite interesting was off that 545 million dollars in revenue it had uh, it had a profit of 16 million which means its margin is tiny its margins margin. 2.9% hmm for which for even for retail is a, that is a yeah, thin margin. Tight. You don't have a lot to play with there. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, a bit confusing then. It seems on the surface good, but if you dig a bit deeper, there's a few, I guess, uh, not worrying signs, but um, classic. You would think e-commerce, though, their margins would be a bit bigger than that, but anyway. Well, I mean, you know, Amazon's nice good margins are very tight as well. It could. It can sometimes True. be a choice. So are there no e-commerce competitors really over there, or what's going on? Why is it? Is it? Um, there would definitely be competitors. It, um, it would be. It would be like Amazon, though. You know, there's there's massive first mover advantage, and these guys were yeah um, were around in the, the first. 90s, in the late 90s, and they've really grown from there. Oh, and I should I should nice I think I should clarify that the the revenue and profit were the quarterly numbers. Um, yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Nice. Well, that was a good short trip around the world. Six companies, or I guess six markets um, that we haven't really discussed a lot about, but just goes to show that there's certainly opportunity out there um, for anyone to to dig their teeth into um you know there's a lot of brands that we use in our day-to-day life that aren't necessarily listed on the uh, your usual asx or over in the united states so i guess the key message is uh start having a dig around in in those other markets because it'll be surprising what you find yeah we thought we thought we would finish this episode with a few call outs (laughs) from (laughs) from our reviews that have come in, which we obviously thank all of our listeners who have, have, have rated and reviewed the podcast. Ren, last, uh, last episode or a few episodes ago, you said that if any good ones come in, then you will call them out. You'll read them out at the end of the show. So do you want to do that? Yeah. So um, there's one from uh, username Barry Betts that I, I wanted to start with. And- <laughs> I knew you'd start with this one. <laughs> <laughs> and Barry writes, uh, great podcast run by relatable people. 
though yep. Bryce's gambling problem seems to be a bit of a contradiction <laughs> to the content presented. And to Barry, I say, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. And I hope Bryce listens to what you're saying. To both Barry and Ren, and and this is on record, uh, Bryce, and yes, I'm speaking in third person, does not have a gambling problem. This is a a concoction uh, that has been cooked up by Ren on the other side of the mic to stir me up so... For anyone out there thinking that I have a gambling problem and is in contradiction to the messages that we're portraying on the show, then uh, I can understand your confusion because Ren has a mission of confusing our listeners. Well, look, you (laughs) know, Bryce, it's sad that you don't want to admit that you have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Stirring the pot. What else? Any others that you want to call out, Ren? Well, did you um, find any? Yeah, so one has come in from Talai. Uh, this is a big one. Subscriber to Equity Mates. Subscribe to Equity Mates today, they say. Um, long-time listener, first-time reviewer, big fan of the podcast, always been interested in personal finance, the idea of investing in the ASX stock market, found the process and jargon confusing, um, You know, con- content top-notch, relevant current affairs. Bryce and Ren, oh, actually, Bryce is hilarious. Ren is also, <laughs> share great banter. Um, I consider them to be the Hamish and Andy of the Australian Investing Podcast, which is huge. Friend. There you go. <laughs> so full credit. I feel credit. like Thank you didn't you read that one. one because it was funny. I feel like you just wanted to pump up your tyres a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely, Ren. <laughs> uh, no, there's another funny one that's come in. Five stars. Only giving this five stars because I was forced to by Ren, and that's coming from JNF17. So, Ren, I'm not sure what you're doing. Uh, when you're um, not behind the mic, out on the streets holding people to ransom to send in um, five stars on our review. But, hey, if that's what we've got to do. You know what? I won't apologize for it. <laughs> so a big thank you to anyone who has rated and reviewed the show. Um, I, if I you think, want I think promise, promise is still there. If you want us yep. to uh, give you a shout-out, write a funny one. Or I guess Bryce might read you out if you just pump his tires up enough. Here's another one, Mike C123. Ren and the other guy. I mean, come on! I open the show. <laughs> <laughs> Ren and the other guy, the Laurel, you, Mike. <laughs> the Laurel and Hardy of investing. Yeah, I, I don't get too, that reference. I think they're two old school comedians. Uh, Ren made me write this again. Ren, see, you're putting people under pressure. Ren made me write this and promised me Bryce's, whoever he is, baby bunting paper trades. Yes, baby I've bunting just, doing very well. I've just googled Who's Laurel, Laurel and Hardy. The only guy with a moustache. Listeners should Google that to get. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Always good to chat stocks and markets with you. As you said, we will leave that standing invite open to anyone who wants us to read out their review, make it funny, and and we will do our best to sift through them. Uh, We'll probably leave it there for now, Ren, and look forward to chatting next episode. Sounds good. Mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Equity minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.